Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. Uh, Today I'm joined by Dr. Stephen Beeson. I'm really happy that uh, Dr. Beeson is here because he is a good friend of mine, most importantly. Um, He is a colleague. We've worked very closely together over the years on a number of different things. Uh, He is also one of our experts in the field of improvement, finding excellence, finding a sense of shared purpose in medicine, but also beyond medicine. And that's why I wanted Steve to come and join me today. He's written a couple of books. He's written, the first one was called Engaging Physicians. The second one is called Practicing Excellence. Uh, he's a family practice doc with a busy clinical practice, but he stepped aside from that to start a new project that's called Practicing Excellence. And it's an amazing thing. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Full disclosure, I do work with Steve a little bit on it, helping design curriculum for hospitalists. Uh, it's an incredible project. It's really inspiring. Steve is really inspiring. So without further ado, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. No, I'm delighted to be here. Very excited to uh, hang out with Mark a little bit. That's right. So (laughs) you and I have talked. I've heard you speak. So for those of you who have not gotten to see or hear Steve speak, he is one of the best public speakers you will come across. Um, He is incredibly gifted in crafting a story, in providing context, And then in kind of giving you what you need at the end, that inspiration to go forward and do, to go forward and change, to go forward and be proactive. Steve, I want to start with that. When you get in front of a group and you are going to get a, you want to deliver a message, what are the things that you first of all put together to say, this is what's going to land. This is how I want to communicate. This is how I want to grab them and help move my audience in a different direction. Well, you know, you know, it's a really, it's an interesting question because, quite frankly, I have no speaker training of any kind. But what I, what I think is really important uh, for anybody that has the position, the opportunity, the honor of helping others get better, which is an unbelievable opportunity, particularly among physicians, is the sense of authenticity. And, you know, one thing that I bring when I speak to physicians is I have been in full-time clinical practice for 18 years and all the battles, challenges, and day-to-day grind of what it's really like to be able to, uh, you know, get better, do better, be better, um, it is really a very authentic message, most of which is built around all the things that I goofed up throughout the course of my clinical life and <laughs> helping others not do that and, and to help, help clinicians in particular, but people in general know that at the end of their day, week, month, year life, man, it's about, it's about impact, making a difference, being proud of what you do, answering to something bigger than ourselves, contributing to society, advancing the world, kindness to others, and, and doing those sorts of things are of great benefit to the community in general, but it's even of greater benefit to those that do it. And to help illuminate that angle and perspective, I think is, is vital for, uh, you know, physician wellness, um, as well as healthcare performance and, you know, the community at large. You're an expert in, in helping teams, organizations, individuals, obviously medicine being one of the key things, but I think this is readily generalizable to any field. 
at finding, you use the term and I love it, shared purpose, finding that sense of what's called shared purpose. Let's start off. Give us a snapshot. What is shared purpose? When you are meeting with someone for the first time or you're in front of an audience of a couple of thousand people and you want them to understand shared purpose or you're coming on my podcast, shared purpose is such an important thing. And I think it's important for all of us to have a sense. First of all, what are you talking about? What do we need to understand when we think about shared purpose? Your shared purpose is uh, a disposition where this is no longer about me. And I think if we all reflect at our best team experience we've ever had in our lives in or out of medicine, it could be a sports team, it can be uh, uh, volunteer work that you've done. Nobody under those circumstances that has had this has been the best team experience I've ever had in my entire life said, look what I got out of it. It's much more what we did. And quite frankly, I've been a servant to something bigger than me. I mean, physicians and clinical teams that go down to Haiti and serve those that literally have nothing, they don't arrive at a shift and say, you know, I don't have what I need. And I refuse to take out the trash. And he's working, he's not working as hard as I, I mean, there, there's just none of that because the sacredness of the mission is so clear and palpable that it trumps individual agenda. And it's not as though we're, we all succumb to the, uh, what we all have to do, but rather it's, what does it feel like to be a participant of serving something that's clear, palpable, and embraced by everybody. And that context is a necessity to create change within organizations. If you don't have shared purpose and everybody's driven around, what do I get out of this? Well, good luck creating transformative change and good luck creating dynamic industry. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a really tough, so shared purpose, some people call it mission, vision, values, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it is, who are we? And that thing, that common ground, not only has to pulse everywhere, everybody's got to understand it, reference it all the time, be in service to it, and everything we strategically do has to be about getting it. And it's got to be Mm non-negotiable. You know, you don't mess with this thing. This common ground, this shared purpose, I mean, you don't work at Ritz-Carlton and be rude to a guest. I mean, it just just doesn't happen. Mm Mm-hmm. And those, those companies, organizations, teams that have clear sense of shared purpose uh, have the capacity by which to mobilize and unite people around that purpose and they can get stuff done. When you, obviously you talk mostly to physicians and mostly to healthcare groups, but what is your sense of the level of expertise and sort of conceptual interest in this idea of shared purpose outside of medicine, whether it's law or sports, or as you mentioned, the, you know, the, the hospitality industry with, with, with Ritz Carlton, is this something that's on the grow? Is this something that medicine is miles behind everybody else? Where is the sort of touchstones in terms of people's facility with this idea, since it is obviously so important and effective? Well, I I think it's, you know, I think that there's basic human needs that we, that we have and the degree that they're biased in American society and who knows, but you know, the ability and desire by which to make the world around us better in a way that we feel good about with people that we care about working together in a healthy way. I have yet to find a group that doesn't want that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, when you, and I got to recall some of my best clinical days, 
on in my best clinical experiences, first of all, I don't remember the clinical outcome. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't clinically, I don't remember I, about you. I mean, I don't remember what happened clinically, yeah. but I sure as heck remember what it felt like to do something that we were really proud of and to do it together. Mm-hmm. So I think that that you know, we happen to be using the substrate of medicine just because it's the world that we live in. Uh, but I think everybody who says, man, my job is great. I love going to work every day. They're really proud of it. They, they participated in creating whatever that shared purpose is because a shared purpose is not something that comes from an ivy tower and drops on our head and says, go do this now, minions. <laughs> right, right, you know? right, right. And we do that in spades in medicine. But yes. it's, uh, you know, I think every every effective team across industries has that sense of common shared purpose, whether they do it deliberately through effective dynamic leadership or they do it accidentally because they just happen to be in an industry that calls upon them to serve in some way. I mean, it's, you know, you can be, you can be right in a lot of different ways. And when you look at groups that have that, uh, whether it's in medicine, sports, whatever it may be, you you can probably find pretty readily that the sense of job satisfaction, per- personal satisfaction, level of achievement, accomplishing goals, probably exponentially higher than in any sort of organization where everyone is working in parallel, everyone is just sort of out for themselves. Is that a fair statement, do you think? Yeah, Gallup's got a lot of data on that in terms of whether it be absenteeism, uh, profitability, uh, contribution, innovation, uh, retention of talent, um, all, all those different metrics are all supported by those that are working in that environment, valued, participatory, in service to, you know, those dynamics just get the best out of people. And I think one of the reasons that you have found such a powerful niche and are in such high demand all around the country is I think that we could both say, no shame, medicine's probably not great at this yet. Um, slowly getting better, but medicine has been built, established, and practiced in ways that were set many, many decades ago with very little institutional change. That's evolving, and I think that's why Steve Beeson is on a plane, you know, six, seven times per month. Where is our profession? Where is medicine with this? Obviously, everyone is asking about all, all different types of healthcare reform. This is one of them. This is absolutely right. one of them, the sense of our teams have to be better. We have to be integrated, organized, and focused. Where is the practice of medicine in this, in this pursuit? Well, I think you know, physicians that I speak with, teams that I speak with, are dedicated at becoming and doing better, reducing clinical variance, reducing cost, improving quality, uh, eliminating, reducing variance, uh, reliance on evidence, you know, all those things. Yes, yes, yes. There's, there's, there's lots of reasons for calls to action. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is, is, um, in my experience, I don't have a ton of experience across lots and lots and lots and lots of different industries, but I think, um, although I very hopeful and optimistic and have a great belief that we can create an extraordinary healthcare delivery system, if we were to tap the talent of those that do it and begin to diminish our current approach. What I've seen, uh, and I think it's generated physician despair, uh, is there's an understanding across a society that healthcare has to get better, be better, cost less with fewer errors and kill fewer people. And that's a generally understood approach. You know, there's a, there's a well understood, uh, 
needs for healthcare. I mean, everybody knows from a leadership, from an administrative, from a physician perspective that we got to get healthcare better. Uh, it's got to cost less. It's got to make fewer errors. Uh, it's got to adhere to evidence better. We got to reduce clinical variation. Yeah. Uh, we got to coordinate care. I mean, there's nobody that's going to disagree with those notions. The question is, how do we get those things to happen? The one of the biggest threats that I see to medicine right now is that we are doing it with the least effective mechanism there is that not only doesn't work to create fundamental change in the clinical micro interaction and the clinical micro systems where change really occurs in small teams and one-on-one encounters, that there's a, there's a drive towards in, intensifying regulatory pressure to make healthcare better. And that regulatory pressure is prompting leaders of large healthcare systems who are now accountable for this intense regulatory environment to pull the exact levers that disengage people from the innovation creativity mm-hmm. that can solve the problem in the first place. You just hit those key words that when you bring, when you say those things to, I would imagine any industry, but when you say those sorts of things to physicians, you know, more regulation, things coming from up above, those are, I would argue, probably the number one drivers towards physician burnout. Do you think that's fair? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, somebody to go through the amount of training that we have to feel as, as though uh, the work that we do is so important and to see and feel every day 20, 25 times encounters with patients and the, per, the prospect of making impact in the lives of patients, but to work in an environment where we feel things coming at us mm-hmm. instead of with us and beside us. Yeah. Uh, that that regulatory pressure, top-down administrative mandate prompts physicians, the greatest influencers in clinical care. We are 80 cents of every dollar, 90% of all clinical activity, and what we say and how we show up is a, intensely contagious. And if physicians are despair, backseat, victim, then good luck creating transformative change. <laughs> right. And yeah, and 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 somehow. Uh, there's the thought that, oh, we can make healthcare better. We'll just regulate the crap out of them. We'll hold them accountable, you know? And uh, that's not, in any industry, what works to create and tap the talent, innovation, and creativity of those that are delivering care. And it's, it's, there's power in ground-up ground up approaches. Uh, it's not to say advocating for anarchy, or advocating for chaos, and in fact, in highly complex systems like healthcare, simple rules can guide and promote self-organization and tap the talent of those providing care as a mechanism by which to create the changes that are, that are needed. And I, I see that one of the greatest threats in healthcare is the ratcheting up in the healthcare reform era of regulatory pressure to do this or else. Yeah. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but there are some leaders out there that are doing some really, really dynamic, powerful things and tapping the talent of their teams at the front line to innovate the heck out of how do we create clinical order sets where everybody's in participating and doing these all the time, and how do we create that so it's by us and with us and not at us and to us. So The, the, the other problem, though, and I want to get into that, but the other problem with the, as you say, that sort of things coming at us um, uh, paradigm when the physicians are feeling it, when physicians are burning out, when clinical teams aren't functioning, whether the clinical outcome is good or not doesn't matter. 
I think the patients, no, I shouldn't say patients, just everybody who is needing to see a doctor, needing to see a nurse practitioner, needing to access healthcare, they absolutely feel it. I think everyone can speak to that. You can tell when someone is tired, uh, burnt out, uninspired. It, it, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It, no one can miss those things. And it's, I think it can be really destructive. Oh, yeah. There's pretty compelling literature that when physicians are in despair, burned out, frustrated, uh, then everything that we know to be important, whether it be, whether it be clinical quality, medical errors, med mal risk, cost of care, patient satisfaction, patient complaints, clinical productivity, all of those domains diminish, all of them. So we've got to figure out a way to have physicians be intensely contributory in their work and fulfilled by how they do their work. Both of those, and, and you know, if people say, you know, what is the secret sauce for the rescue of American healthcare? <laughs> and <laughs> yes, please, it, are you? Re- can you can you tell us right now? <laughs> yes, it's it's simple. You know, it's it's allowing clinical teams to operate in a way that again fosters high degree of contribution. Yeah. How we interact with our patients, how we interact with each other, how we lead our teams, how we adhere to evidence, how we operate around common ground, how we interact and provide each other feedback, how we reduce our hierarchy. So the team, the unit, the clinical microsystem is just rolling like those high performing best team experience I've ever had in my whole life. Man, imagine that all day, every day in the endoscopy suite and yeah. the cath lab and the ED with the hospitalist and the primary care clinic and the urgent care. Man, we are just rolling. And by virtue of that in contribution of doing better, being better, better clinical outcomes, better patient engagement, better team dynamics, and doing so in contributing in a way that restores vitality. Mm-hmm. And that's the sweet spot that we've got to figure out. One of the reasons that you're joining me today, obviously, is there are a lot of voices on one side of the spectrum, and this isn't a criticism of those voices at all. They need to be heard around this issue of physician burnout, physician dissatisfaction, you know, teams not functioning normally, you know, patients unhappy, patients recognizing, you know, my physician is just not into it. That is, we're, we're really top heavy in that narrative. And yeah. we do need now for there to be, uh, there needs to be a voice in the wilderness that says, like you're saying, we can restore vitality. We can help people re-engage with the reason you trained for 12 years minimum to want to make this be a great part of your life, something you'll look back on fondly, something you look forward to the next day, just like for any field, just like the same reason, you know, a professional tennis player near and dear to my heart gets up at five in the morning to go run before their five hour workout. They have to have love for the game. We have to have love for the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do we, with the work that you're doing now, what are those first steps for that? Let's just start with the one person. What are the first steps that one person can take where they can say, First of all, just recognizing that I have a, that there's an issue here. I'm tired. I'm frustrated and I want it to be different. I don't want to walk away. I want difference. What are they, where do we start? Well, there's a, there's a couple of different things that I have found, uh, reflecting on my own, on my own life and working with physicians in a sort of a coaching mentoring capacity concurrent with my clinical practice for the last 15 years. You know, part of it, part of it is uh, making the decision, uh, am I going to sit here and bitch, ma- moan, and complain about everything happening to me, happening to me mm-hmm. right now? Mm-hmm. 
or am I going to participate in making the care that I and the team that I'm a part of better? And, and part of that is just having enough wind in your sails to make that deliberate, conscientious decision. For me, that decision came a number of years ago. I'll tell you a very uh, quick story. of uh, and, and people that have heard me speak, because I talk about this as a watershed moment in my life. I, was, I remember treating a, um, this 15-year-old kid that came in to see me for uh, a sore throat. And when I joined healthcare, you know, my definition of the difference that I could make was by virtue of my ability to diagnose and treat and cure disease, which is it's a reasonable <laughs> right. difference-making criteria yeah, yeah. of a young physician. But when I found, when I actually got into clinical practice between, you know, self-limited disease and chronic disease and factitious disease and terminal disease and, you know, uh, I, I felt as though I could make a difference a very small portion of the time. And medicine was not at all what I thought it was going to be. And I was 35 years old and going, God, uh, you know, I sacrificed my youth for this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I accrued debt for this. You got to be kidding me. And uh, I remember a, a kid came in, uh, this 15-year-old kid with a sore throat that I had mentioned. Uh, he came in to see me and he came in with his mom. You know how 15-year-olds are. They stare at the ground and mumble stuff. And, <laughs> you know, and this kid came in like this and uh, I had, he had no adenopathy, no exudate, no fever, clearly a viral syndrome. And he had, um, I finished my clinical evaluation in three or four minutes. So I asked him, I said, you know, so where do you go to high school? And he says to me, um, mumbles, staring at the ground, that he goes to, you know, Poway High School, which is my alma mater. So we had that in common. And then he says, uh, and then I say to him, um, so, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he doesn't say anything. He's sitting at an exam table, staring at the ground, hands clutched at the side, his mother sitting to his right in this awkward pause, silence. And she finally kicks him and says, would you answer him? And he mumbles, um, I want to be a doctor. And you know, I said to him, uh, you got the personality for it. And uh, <laughs> I, said, I thought that. <laughs> anyway, um, so... You know, he goes to my high school, wants to be what I am. And so I told him about getting into medical school, the MCAT, the, your GPA, and your short coat, your long coat, yeah. the idea of pimping and what that was. <laughs> People Just to clarify me. for those who are listening, <laughs> when we talk that, about pimping with respect yes. to medical school – it's about getting asked questions. There's nothing nefarious about it. It's just yeah. when people grill you and want you to get give them information. That's all we're uh, talking yeah. about. It, it's asking questions for the purposes That's of right. of uh, deep query. It's so, a anyway. weird term for the Socratic method. Yes. So anyway, so I told him about getting into medical school and yeah. you know the, the passage of becoming a physician. It was two three minutes tops. He leaves, I leave, and I don't think a thing about it. I come into clinic the next day. And I get a phone call uh, from his mom, and uh, it's fielded by my nurse. And my nurse says to me, "You know that boy's mom that you saw yesterday for the sore throat. She wants to thank you for something." And I'm thinking to myself, uh, "Did I give him an antibiotic? Because that would be the reason that somebody would thank me for something." And uh, patches the phone in, and she says to me, "You know, Doctor B said I want to thank you." And she says, "I want to I want to thank you for rescuing my son." Wow. And she told me about her son, this bright, young, ambitious kid who had fallen into this abyss of depression. And they were shattered. I mean, they had tried homeschool and SSRIs and psychologists, psychiatrists. They were just broken that they had lost their kid. 
And she says to me for the first time ever, um, he's talking about the future. He's back. Viral pharyngitis. And I, and I, yeah, I realized then that medicine is this unbelievable opportunity to make big time impact in the lives of those that we serve. And we can intensely contribute by virtue of doing things really, really well. And by doing so, restore our own vitality by virtue of how we show up. There's no question that a story like that, I mean, I I think uh, you're, I'm listening to the story and I'm thinking about the things that have happened in my career that make me feel like that. And it is a reason why I get up and go to work in the morning because it's such a rare privilege to do things like that. That being said, I think we have to be careful that we don't assume that every physician, nurse, administrator, lawyer, uh, you know, marketing specialist, ex- extreme athlete, whatever it may be, that they necessarily have the skills to access the, the the withdrawn young person or the right. frustrated person, those kinds of things can be really intimidating, and it's much easier just to step away. The path of least resistance is to not engage. It's that skill set. It's building the skill set, and I want to talk about because this is one of the things that you're so great at, and it's it's so exciting that these things are available. It's building that skill set, right? That we have to be able to say we might not be that good at this. I might be super smart. I might know a lot of things. I might not be that good at delivering bad news to someone or talking to someone who is clearly upset. Where's your sense on physician skill level with that sort of value added stuff that is not in a textbook? Right. No, there's, that's a great question, Mark. And the very things that we need to be able to do to be intensely contributory as clinicians, how we interact with our patients, how we interact with our staff, how we lead our teams, how we interact with our colleagues, how we, you know, all those things. The one domain that we got lots and lots of training in is the diagnosis and management of disease. For sure. All the other elements, which are vital to healthcare performance and healthcare's capacity to transform itself, we never learned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of the despair of physicians is we're now held accountable for things that we don't know how to do. I mean, I can't tell you how many, in 15 years of coaching physicians, I've not met, I've yet to be one who could articulate why the patient said what they said about them. They don't know. I mean, the the inside gene for us as clinicians is not well expressed. And, And our ability by which to transition kind of a leadership perspective of nagging physicians now to helping physicians is a really important element in creating physician engagement, physician participation, and again, restoring vitality. And the idea of helping physicians get better, when, I, when you help a physician understand how to connect with patients really, really quickly, and then feel, you know, harvest from that, tell me what happened when you did that. It's like, man, it's like a, it's like a little kid who has just discovered how to shoot a basketball yeah. or it's a, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it's that, that sense of God dang it. I wish could you have told me this like 20 years ago, yeah. man, it's so easy. Yeah. And the idea around helping people get better and then having them go through the toll booth of man, when I do it that way, that's way better. Not only am I going to keep doing that way, I'm telling my colleagues. So right. better ways begin to spread like influenza as opposed to Go be nice to the patients now as an administrative mandate. See how that one works out for you. Yeah, yeah. The other thing about this, too, is there's more at stake than just addressing physician burnout. Not that that's not a noble pursuit. 
as technology in healthcare changes and evolves, people become more facile with med tech and these sorts of things. The real value-added proposition for physicians is going to be exactly what you were talking about. It's exactly being able to provide that insight. You can go online and you can learn heart. You can learn how to treat heart failure just about as well as a physician by reading the the right things online. Right. It's how do you help someone? This is now their third admission for heart failure, and their family is upset. That's the complexity of medicine that if you just do the same things over and over, you're just reinventing the wheel. The place where physicians make the lasting impact is being able to take a step back and say, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z to get you feeling better. But my goodness, this is the third time you've been in the hospital in three months. Let's talk about what's going on. And you don't necessarily, like you say, you don't necessarily learn that somewhere, but we are absolutely accountable for that. Oh, no, there's, there's no question. And when we begin to look at, you know, the, the composite of skills that physicians can bring into the environment that may have a clinically relevant outcome in, in this sense, uh, uh, reducing readmissions, which is as reasonable as any one of them. Yeah. Uh, and, and you look at kind of root cause, why did the patient come back in the hospital? Well, there's a, there's a variety of things that may be in place. But what we do know as clinicians, and having shadowed as many physicians as anyone, um, even when I'm in the room with clinicians and, and even a notable number of hospitalists, uh, even with that positive bias, because they're trying their hardest when they got a coach watching them, is our ability to do the very, very basic things is pretty truncated. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... Um, you know, over 50% of patients leave the hospital without actually knowing their diagnosis. And Which breaks with, my heart because oh, yeah. I'm the guy that's supposed to be explaining yeah. that to them. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, so I, I, uh, you know, I've, I've shadowed lots of physicians and, you know, we use a little rubric in terms of how we explain things in a way that patients can understand. And, you know, we think that we've got a big clinical variation problem and we do. I mean, there's lots of clinical variants. If you look at behavioral variants, it's a multiple of clinical variants, and there's significant implication for what that means in terms of patient's participation in care, patient adherence, uh, patient involvement, participation, readmission rates. That stuff is deeply embedded, not only in our ability to diagnose and manage disease according to evidence, but also our ability to partner with patients, educate patients, mm-hmm. include patients, all of those things. So we've talked about the need for the skill set and and there's a clear and definable one without a doubt i do think it's also important to recognize that these are skills that we expect across the board when i'm traveling like you again i'll bring up you mentioned the ritz carlton when i'm traveling and i'm spending money on you know a nice hotel or a nice meal or something i do expect a certain level of court of, of, of behavior and communication and things like that if i'm going to work with any sort of other professional same thing goes these are skills that I think everyone that is interacting with other people in a service-based environment really has to have medicine though. We've said, and and I I can speak to this. I think medical education still struggles with this is providing docs with these uh, tools to be able to go forward and be insightful and be, you know, grab the provocative uh, clues and be, you know, demonstrate empathy, not in a, you know, stereotyped, way just to get get a good grade on a test, but to do it because you care about the person in front of you. Right, right. It's building the repository of those skills. And that's one of the things that, again, your work is so interesting. Physician coaching, 
as you said, no one does more of it. You're out on the speaking circuit, but now we're building this repository of information that people can tap into. And I I want you to, what is the essence of practicing excellence? What is the, 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 the germ that caused you to say, you know what, I need to step away from clinical practice for a while. As much as I love it, I need to step aside for a bit because I have to do something different that I can then really scale and help physicians counterbalance these powerful burnout forces. Right. No, it's, you know, I think that, um, the idea of me leaving my full-time clinical practice was heartbreaking for me. I mean, it's, and it was a very, very difficult decision. And I'm still in contact with a lot of, and I still have some clinical activities, but my full-time 2,800 patient panel, man, that was, that was rough. And they miss you. Yeah. They miss you for sure. (laughs) And, and, but what I, you know, I said, gosh, do I want to impact one patient at a time or impact thousands of clinicians helping them with both their contribution and to do so in a way that reestablishes their sense of value, worth, and man, I'm the doctor that I thought I was going to be. I said, you know, we've got an unbelievable opportunity, almost like, you know, somebody spoke to me and said, this is what you got to do with your life. And so we built something called the Physician Effectiveness Project. And it's a place where physicians and teams come to learn, interact, and build skills. And uh, it's been remarkably exciting. Just spoke with a physician um, just before this call. And to see and feel what it's like to help physicians again on the things that we're responsible for and accountable for, uh, but never learned, and to be a participant in helping physicians rediscover the amazing greatness of our profession, and to realize the power of connection with people has intense clinical implication. If we can't establish trust with a patient, good luck mm-hmm. generating an outcome, particularly in things like chronic disease management. And if, if we're an attorney, an architect, uh, an inv- uh, uh, a certified financial investor, whatever, if you cannot establish and connect with those that you're in service to, you're done. Yeah. And, and that composite of skills, of connectivity, of clear communication, clear communication you know, uh, feedback, lower hierarchy, shared decision-making, simple rules, common ground, all those different elements of how we interact with clients, how we interact with patients, are, uh, again, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's under the hood of those that have changed the world and they've always answered to a higher calling. They've been in service to something other than their own stack of acorns. And ironically, by pursuing something bigger and greater, they can often get a pile of acorns along the way. (laughs) So, because that's, that, that's part of the currency of the world. And, uh, but it's been unbelievable uh, to build practicing. It's it's called practicingexcellence.com, but it's called the Physician Effectiveness Project, and it's been unbelievably exciting to to develop something that teams, physician systems have been have been screaming for. One of the things that comes up, and and I say this with tremendous pride, is that I've been able to contribute uh, material to this as as one of the as the hospitalist contributor, designing material around that. Uh, you know, then engaging with patients, nurses, in the, in in the hospital itself, it, it is incredibly rewarding. Um, I, you learn so much when you just first of all just take that step and say, you know what, I do need to learn more. I don't yet know everything. There is a certain hubris in medicine. I think we can all speak to it and say, you know what. I know a lot, but 
I don't know everything. And I want to just satisfy my own intellectual curiosity. I want to try to learn more. One of the things that does come up is some people feel like, you know what? I also don't have the bandwidth for anything else right now. I don't have time for anything else right now. Regulatory pressure, full clinical panel, work-life balance. I just, I don't have time for anything else. Please don't put anything else on my plate. When that comes up, and I know you hear that all the time, how do we kind of turn the focus? How do we change the angle of the prism a little bit so people can see a little more clearly that, you know what? This is going to be at least time neutral and the value that you're going to gain from it downstream is, is so profound. Right. Uh, uh, There's two questions that we ask in the beginning before we undergo any change effort with individual clinicians or groups of physicians and to pose the question, um, is getting better worth it? Yeah. You know, is it worth it? Because if you answer no, I'm completely satisfied with how I do things and I'm, I'm done getting better. I said, well, okay, call us when you're ready. And so question number one, is this worth it? I, again, I have met, I've not met a single physician ever or leader or anybody in any industry who doesn't have an aspiration to become better, do better, be better, make a bigger impact. And and the, and then question number two is, are we as good as we need to be? That's a provocative question. Yeah. We think we're so good, but when someone just stands in your face and says, are you as good as not do you want to be? Are you as good as you need to be? That is a very different question, and I love it. Right. And, and, and so the answer to those two questions usually set the context and the stage. And all we really need to do is to have them participate in learning and trying and doing and harvesting the feedback of what happens when they do things better. Then they discover, you know what? When I connect with patients, when I lead my team, when I recognize my staff, when I do those any of those numerous skills that are super easy, super fast, and they go, geez, that was way different. Yeah. And then, and then they're, they, they go, when they go through that toll booth, again, they will understand and realize the value of continuously learning, improving, and doing better. So uh, it's, um, I found that physicians are not that hard to convince. If we frame it right about how do we become better, what sort of clinicians we want to be, if we cloak it around we have to do this because CMS says so, right. then even if they want to go there, they won't. So a lot of it is about framing and the messenger and the authenticity and the spirit of what we want to become. And if we administratively mandate, they will blow it up, I guarantee you. And it is the prevailing leadership methodology in healthcare. And that, that's why we change at such a slow pace, if at all. And it brings us back, though. It's that sense, again, of shared purpose. We want to be good. But we need to be good too. We, we don't have a choice. We need to be good. So what are the ways that we can get there that are not just doing it because you're getting hit on the head, but doing it so that there's a sense of pride and accomplishment in it and having a small team and an individual doc and then exploding it out. And then you're really resonating just across the board, right? Right. No, it is. It's, and, uh, you know, I, I've seen amazing system change begin in an endoscopy suite hmm. where, where they, they do amazing things for patients and they begin to mobilize as a team regarding that shared purpose. And then leaders are smart enough to have them begin to tell their story to others. Then the cath lab says, you know what? We can do that. Then the urgent care system says, Hey, we can do that. Then the family medicine department says we can do that. And it's a ground up social movement. It's how all transformative change occurs. All of it occurs by virtue of a ground up groundswell social movement 
mechanism. Rarely do you create transformative change by mandating it from above. And so our ability to create a nidus of change and to be able to use spread mechanisms through storytelling, through ambassadorship, through uh, you know shared common learning approaches is you know it, it's a it's a pretty dynamic, robust, powerful organizational change dynamic. It, it's it's incredibly exciting, and I think it's so valuable that there is that counterbalancing voice to the wave of dissatisfaction, distaste. Uh, you know, grumbling, a lot of it well-founded that gets into the public kind of zeitgeist that gets out into the public discourse and kind of paints all of us with that same brush. It's so important that there is this voice that's saying, look, there's a way we can do this differently. Not saying there isn't a problem, but saying, hey, we can tackle this problem. We can be as good as we both want and need to be. We can find that sense of shared purpose. So uh, practicing excellence, it just, all it has to do is just keep growing. Yeah, no, we're excited. We're, um, yeah, it's, it's growing like gangbusters and we're excited about tapping the talent of physicians, not to, uh, to rise up, to take over the world, but to rise up, to contribute in service to the patients that we take care of together and helping leaders realize that when you've got physicians that are there, that you partner with, make decisions with, recognize and appreciate, and you pursue that higher calling together and create a let's get results done together culture in or out of medicine, man, look out. And, uh, if we can do that <laughs> in healthcare, as yeah. opposed to just tightening the regulations, um, it's going to be a different sport. Yeah. It's going to be a different sport. So it's www.practicingexcellence.com. There'll be a link to it on my website as well. Uh, but definitely check it out. There is a ton of material there. There are videos, there are narratives, there are conversations, there are other podcast episodes. It's just this huge collection of really interesting, well-organized, fun stuff um, and important stuff. So please dive in and take a look. Um, you can find Steve's books, which I've read. They're awesome. You should read them. Engaging Physicians and all, the other one is Practicing Excellence. You can find them on Amazon. Again, worth checking out. Uh, so please dive in and find those things. Steve, any, any other place we can find you? I am, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm around the country. I'm leaving tomorrow to uh, Georgia and then back to Denver and then to New Jersey. And I just try to look at, like when you're in med school, you say, what exam is in front of me? Uh -huh. <laughs> As opposed to, oh my God, <laughs> I got four years of this. So, I mean, I love doing it. It's fantastic to help physicians kind of lead the way. Um, but uh, I don't. I, I don't publicize where I am. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> they don't come to an organization <laughs> near you. I don't know. I. But um, talking to physicians and leaders across the country, it's been fantastic. That's so wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been an outstanding conversation. You will come back anytime you want because as this evolves, as it hopefully becomes a movement, as more and more stories start to surface, this is definitely a place for us to kind of help continue to propagate all of that message. All right. Thanks, Mark. It's been great. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.